You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about what it really means to craft outstanding experience for global brands, how each team member can contribute to that experience, and how e-commerce trends and tactics, branding, positioning, and design all come together to contribute to this thing everybody seems comfortable labeling, quote unquote, air quotes intended, experience. To help us, we have with us Kyle Duford, Executive Creative Director of The Brand Leader, and focused on turning rapid growth companies into unforgettable strategically positioned brands. Kyle, thanks for taking the time and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, man. It's uh, good to be here with you. So we always like to start with a random question just so our audience gets to know you a little bit better and everybody has, you know, digital personas and work life and all that stuff. Kind of curious to know something you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to learn. Well, yeah, for, if it's from the work, there's lots of things that are surprising, I think, for folks. But uh, <laughs> I'm married to Billy Graham's granddaughter, for example. You know, those are fun things. His his grandson works here with us. But folks that know me from work would tell you that it takes an act of God to get to me, get me to the office before like 10 a.m. So that's kind of a, you, I mean, you'd be lucky to see me roll up around then. So it's uh, that's kind of my thing. And you're so definitely a night owl. No, not at all. I'm I'm in bed by like eight thirty. It's uh, it's crazy. I, I'm I, I watch Dateline with my wife. We crash, but I, I get up early to work out, and then I find uh, if I do that for at least an hour or so, I can I do my best thinking in the morning when I'm running or or cycling by myself, and then I'll typically do an hour or two of work at home before I come in. It's just kind of an unmitigated silence, which I like. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So for context, um, tell us about the brand leader and and how you came to be there. What's the story there? Well, the brand leader, what we say, we're a branding agency that specializes in strategy and design. And by that, I mean, we, and you said it in, in, in the intro, you know, we help companies turn their brands into unforgettable ones. We primarily focus on, on rebrands or new brands, but we do a lot of different kind of branding work. Typically, though, we say strategy and design because, you know, we're not a marketing shop. We do do some marketing. We're not a development shop. We do develop the things we design, but we focus on helping brands understand what what a brand means, exactly what we're talking about today, and how we can position them better, how we can give them a voice, how we can help them decide who they are. And if you know who you are, then we know that you can talk about yourself better. And then you also know who to attract. So that's kind of what we focus on. I know that's a little bit of a kind of a weird answer, but it's kind of branding, period. Okay. And so when we talk about branding, that's a word that you hear a lot of people kind of kick around, right? Everybody has a tendency to use that word. Many seem to think they know what it means. I'm curious yep. to know from your perspective, when we say branding, what does that include? What does that, what does that look like just from contextual standpoint? Well, you know, you're right. Everyone talks about brands as if they know what they are. And a lot of people say they're branders and, and I don't want to disagree if they are, but there's a lot of folks <laughs> who don't understand what that is, you know, we all watch Mad Men, right? And we uh, we understand what the advertising world is like. And and uh, in the '60s, the famed kind of ad man of the time, David Ogilvy, said that a brand is the intangible sum of its parts. Basically, what he means is it's all the things that you can't touch or see necessarily. It's it's the intangible qualities. We like to say a brand is the emotional connection between a consumer and your business product or service. And I, I just heard the other day somebody say a brand 
doesn't exist in reality. Like you can't buy one. You can't like hold it. You can't smell it or, or taste it. it. And that's why it kind of exists out in the ether somewhere. And so a brand is not a logo. A brand is not your business name. A brand is your the feeling you have when you think about Nike, when you think about Apple, when you think about Starbucks, it's it's what you think about. It's what you feel. It's it's kind of the that intangible thing, which is why I can't even describe it. <laughs> uh, but a brand, a brand is is that you know it's it's kind of it's your personality, it's your makeup, it's your aura of that business product or service. And I think that's a great summary and description of it. I mean, the, the one that comes to my mind just because I am a brand fanatic for the, for the company is Harley Davidson and right? I ride Harleys. I can't, yes. t- I mean, I know there are there are motorcycles that are more mechanically sound. I, you know, I get all of that, but there is something about that brand that I probably can't describe either that keeps me coming back. Right. keeps me in that, right. uh, in that click of people, but a, part of that from from what I've seen is this concept of the experience and how does the experience play into that emotional reaction that somebody mm-hmm. has to the brand. And I get to use my air quotes again here and people banter around that word experience all the time, right? They say, oh, no, we're going to work on the experience for the company. But I, again, just much like branding, I don't think a lot of people know what that means. And so again, from your perspective, would love to hear when we talk about brand experiences or or crafting those experiences, how do you kind of approach it or, or see that as part of the overall? Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of hit it on the head when you're talking about Harley, you know, Harley is an outlaw brand. If you're talking about, you know, brand archetypes, they're the ones that do things a little differently. I ride myself as well. I don't ride a Harley because I'm not part of that tribe. But if you are part of that tribe, you know, there's a certain sound a Harley Absolutely. makes. There's a You know, there's, there's something about when you start up that ignition for the first time that, you know, you're on a hog and you're not on a Ducati or you're not on a Yamaha. There's, there's something about that. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like the Jeep wave. When you pass on the Jeep, you wave to them. And there's something about Harley guys or gals who, when you're next to each other at a stoplight or when you see each other at a bar, when you just see that emblem someplace, you know, that's the experience that we try to go for. And a lot of people do kind of conflate those kind of, I like how you said air quote experiences with actual brand touchpoint experiences because there's brand activations, there's brand events, there's things you can do with a brand. You know, Nike can have a inner city basketball tournament just sprout up a three on three in the middle of nowhere and that could launch a new shoe. And that's an activation. That's activating the local crowd, the local consumer base to experience your product somehow. When we talk about experiences, we talk about, again, how is your brand received by the person you want to touch? And, you know, I'll pick on Nike for a second. And I I said this a billion times and I always typically say people are probably sick of me saying this definitely in the office here. But if I told you to imagine Nike and I told you that they just announced they're going to start the new airline, Nike Air, which is, I just think is funny, (laughs) Nike Air, Nike Airline. But anyway, um, so they start this new airline and and I said, Chad, close your eyes and tell me or the listeners out there, tell me what you see. What kind of food are they serving? What does the plane look like? What are the flight attendants wearing? What's on the TVs? And you're probably going to come in with, you know, plus or minus two or 3% of everybody else who answers that, who knows Nike. And it's going to be, you know, there's probably going to be a swoosh on there. There's going to be orange somehow on the tail fin. The flight attendants are going to be wearing, obviously, trainers. And they're going to be wearing probably some quick wicking fabric. And you're going to see ESPN on the TV and probably have some nutritious meal on your plate. That whole thing, the fact that you can do that and I can do that, we're all going to come with some kind of very small margin of error from one another. That's the brand. That's the experience because we've all experienced what they do and how they do it. That's what builds that brand equity over time. 
to the point where it means something to say you're going to wear a pair of Nikes. Now, I'm not, I'm not advocating Nikes over Adidas or anyone else, but I'm just saying you can do that with so many different folks. And if you take your Harley example and I said, okay, close your eyes and picture Harley Davidson, you can probably smell that kind of <laughs> oil gas mixture and you can you know, hear the sounds and, and that's the experience you want. Now, that could be a little bit more tangible if you talk about brands like Zappos who, you know, you probably had a customer service experience, which is pretty good. Or Home Depot, when someone comes up and asks you in an aisle, what's going on? All of those things can amount to a great experience. Great experiences, positive experiences only go to help serve the foundation of a building brand or a rebuilding brand. It, well, and then it create, can create challenges for the companies, right? Because the minute they stray from what the the faithful believe to be the brand from their perception, it can sometimes create friction between my experience with the brand. So yep. we'll keep going with the Harley one. When they first unleashed Project Livewire, their electric bikes, mm-hmm. I knew there were go many, there. many people that I know that were like, what in the world is going on here? This, this can't be happening. That's not part of the gig. It's the sound, it's the leather, it's the oil, you know, it's all of those things. From my perspective, it made sense. The brand evolves. It has to evolve. But some people are stuck, you know, very connected to the brand. And I think, does that sometimes create a challenge for the companies to stay true to that as they evolve and change over time? And how do they deal with that? You're absolutely right. And I, I have to give a shout out to uh, my good friend, John Beckafee, who's the GM of, of brand at Harley. And I remember when I saw that first uh, Ewan McGregor documentary yeah. about it, it was a long way up. And they introduced this. And that's the first time I saw it was I'm like, what in the world? And even the guys who were in that documentary were like Harley and batteries. <laughs> like, how does that even mix? But you got to give a shout out to these guys because what they did was they said, we're going to pivot. We're going to move because we have to. This is what's coming down the pike. Everyone's going to be more sustainable and, and forward thinking. And this is the next evolution how do we do that to our tribe? How do we present this? And also they want to grow. So like everyone. So how do we introduce a new audience to Harley Davidson? And you have to give them credit for how they launched that thing. They launched it with this epic Harley Davidson feel that went viral. So not only got a younger audience, but also still incorporated their tried and true customers without alienating them. They didn't make a big right turn and say, we're not going to do that anymore, guys. Sorry, if you've got an old hog, you're stuck with it you're no longer part of it. That's not what they did. They incorporated everyone by releasing something in the same way they have for years and years and years, by doing it with people, doing it as a public event, sharing it with folks who love Harleys and a lot of riding experiences, having little events across the country where people can come and literally touch this thing and go, wow, this feels like a hog. Now, it might not smell like one. It might not smell like you fire up that engine anymore, but it feels like one. Now, it doesn't sound like one either. So that's the trick. But helping people bridge that gap is huge. Now, if it comes the other way, if customers impose brand meaning to you that was unintended, that's where it can go awry. So it's really important if you're going to take a pivot, I mean, Starbucks introducing Tazo Tea and say, we're going to be a tea company as well. I mean, that can people, whoa, hey, I'm a, I'm a diehard coffee guy or I'm a diehard Starbucks guy. That can totally alienate folks. So again, you have to incorporate them. It's through experience. It's through, hey, this is the same lens we look through things. And this is where your brand vision and mission comes to play, your core values and your attributes. Harley probably never said in their mission statement, and I've got it written down somewhere, I'm sure, but they never said we're going to be a gasoline-powered motorcycle for years. I'm sure it's about 
a driving, riding experience for rebels who want to explore the countryside or something like that. Does that new Harley, the battery powered Harley, fit in that mission and their overall vision? Well, it sounds like it does, sure. You know, so it's like that fits. They're not going to say we're going to introduce a you know helicopter because that doesn't help people you know, engage the road through freedom of motorcycles or again whatever their mo- their mission might be. But doing a battery powered one well, that doesn't really offend the brand, so it shouldn't offend the people. So let's deliver it to them in a way that we can really craft that experience so they can understand it. That's where yeah, the key is. They did you know what Harley so, did an amazing thing with with we, that rollout. I love the public events. I did. I went and rode one to check it out. But they did something to connect to that, hey, that doesn't sound like a Harley feeling. And that was by messing with the sound on the electric bike to turn it into some called it sound like a jet engine taking off or whatever. But they had messed with that and taken that same sound component, which was something that the people that I you know ride with who can't even wrap their heads around it could at least connect to that. So hats off you're right to the to the individuals right. that came up with that and so now we get into this okay we just we're in the middle of a pandemic or maybe hopefully towards the end of a pandemic and i'm just <laughs> i'm kind of curious hopefully over the last end. year how have you seen what we've been through impact the ability and or focus of companies who have to develop or evolve the brands in this kind of weird atmosphere weird situation that we're all in what what have you seen change or elements of the brands that now get thought of that maybe hadn't been thought of before yeah great question we've seen a lot of folks come through and through our agency or just through thought leadership and talking with some colleagues and our brands and clients themselves a lot of people panicked right away and once that we all did right when we were all under extreme lockdown like the stay at home order depending on what state you're in, depending on how, how long you were there. But a lot of brands were like, okay, here's our opportunity. How are we going to emerge from this? The smarter ones looked at things like infrastructure and supply chain and they, knowing the retail stores were closed, how can we adapt? How can we sell things? And you saw this uh, you know, play out first and foremost through bars and restaurants and, and, and you know, doing takeout and cities allowing you know, takeaway alcohol and things like that. I mean, you saw that really cool out-of-the-box thinking happened right away from those folks who were affected the most. As brands started thinking about them, you started seeing, we're going to change up our omni-channel structure. We're going to allow things from home, um, different marketing experiences from home, introducing AI or something through their mobile experience. You know, you saw this happen through Netflix and Hulu and just the the proliferation of quick access to everything. Like everyone's coming out with new shows or new experiences or mobile or emails, whatever it might be. One, you had a captive audience, which totally disrupted, by the way, how people thought people were shopping. More, there was more shopping during the business hours than there ever was, which makes sense. But the smart ones actually said, let's take this time and to see if our positioning is right. So when we come out of this thing, how do we look? How do we emerge? What does this brand look like? And you saw a lot of major brands, you know, Kia for one, Burger King for another, go through a major rebrand and took that time, almost that downtime, if you will, to really think. It's like that that peace and quiet that I have every morning when I ride my bike or go for a run. During that time, I get to think. And that's what it was like, this collective consciousness for brands. Okay, let's take a pause. How do we want to be seen when we reemerge? And it was a time that we might never see again, hopefully never see again because of the situation, where almost everyone unilaterally, <laughs> un, un, I can't speak today, unilaterally had the opportunity to to do what they've never had, which is stop. 
and say, do we want to be known for this or that? And if we don't, how can we pivot? How can we turn? And a lot of those rebrands kind of emerge. Now, the, the trends that we saw were all over the place. There were you know, retail trends and a lot of social conscious trends. A lot of brands came out during the Black Lives Matter movement early summer, taking a position which we've never really seen to this extent before and in, involve that into their into their brand. You know, we are now going to support this cause or that cause and, you know, let alone the election that kind of played in as well. So there's a lot of things that changed. It gave opportunity to brands and their leaders to think about who they who they were individually and who they wanted to represent from a brand standpoint. And I think you saw the ones who took the time to think about it emerge a lot better than they were when they went into it. Uh, absolutely. It was an opportunity for those that didn't panic to use the change in the velocity of business and the velocity of individuals to right. do those things, to pivot, to find the new opportunities, to realign with the, I, I hate the phrase, but the new reality, right? As, as this all yeah. unfolded, change is the only constant we all have. This was a huge change. <laughs> it was global yeah. for a lot of us. So we actually trying to find a silver lining in the pandemic, we all, for the first time that I can remember, have a shared human experience around the entire globe to impact totally differently, right? But it is, mm -hmm. it's kind of brought the awareness to the forefront. And so people got through it. Now the question is, where do they go? So I'm curious mm -hmm. when you look at, you know, the next 12, 18 months, I, I can remember back in the day when people used to say, do you have a five-year plan? I can't even imagine uh, like a 12-month <laughs> plan at this point because you never know what's going to happen. Right, but, right. When you look out 12 or 18 months, what do you think brands and, and companies are going to need to be aware of or keep their eye on as this environment of change continues? Well, I mean, this goes back to what you asked about earlier in experiences. When we're all coming out of this now, you can start seeing this locally. You can see this from national brands. You can see this at grocery stores, which is pretty amazing. We have a, a deep human need and desire to be with people. And you could see through you know, the mental health profession and what's going on now. A lot of people are finally coming out, being able to speak to people. But because of what happened, we were all sequestered our own way and we all started internalizing things differently. Now that we're coming out of it, the one thing has been constant. And, I, and I, I've talked about this a number of times before. I believe a human connection is so desired from people and brands are the vessel in which to allow those connections. So now that we're coming out of these things, you can talk about Harley again, those events where they were allowing people to come out, they could have been the first time or the first event that people came to, and it allowed them to meet with people who were like-minded or like themselves, you know, a tribe, if you will, in a new, cool way. And so I think what you're going to start seeing is a lot more, a lot more focus on in-person experiences, on if we have a captive audience in front of us, let's not waste it. Let's make sure we give them a really tailored message. And I think it's going to be a little softer. You know, this hard sell, we do a lot of work with people in Europe. And one of the big differences that we see constantly is in the US, it's a hard sell. It's buy this, it's discount now, it's, you know, get it right away, you know, get this in your car, you're going to miss, you know, miss out. And in Italy and in Germany and France and Spain and so forth, a lot of it is based on here's the value of our product. Do you like it or do you not? Because if you <laughs> like it, come on, let's we've got something for you. And it's not this harsh, this not harsh push, you know, to ever to get a sale, to drive in the bottom line. I think we're all so conscious of what happened and the people who lost their jobs and and unfortunately their homes and, and the way of life that we're not doing the hard sell as much anymore, from what I can tell, from the few brands that we work with that are in the e-commerce space or selling online or, or um, sorry, in stores, 
we're seeing a lot of people going, hey, we're, we're just glad you're here. Here's what we can offer you. And you see this a lot with, in a small way, just offering people an opportunity to, sh- to shop from their mobile phone or having hand sanitizer stations when they walk in or anything that can can say, hey, we're taking care of you, but we're still here. And I think that's going to be continued the next 12, 18, 24 months. Yeah, we see it a lot actually in B2B brands as they pivot and have to you know, have their sales force go from what many would have thought would have been a hard push before to really training their teams to be able to connect to another human being and understand what that other person cares about, what they find valuable mm-hmm. and connect to that rather than an right. attempt to say, hey, I got this black box, you really want this black box and everything that's in it. It really is. How do I train those organ those those individuals to consistently have those those conversations? And I think yeah, that human connection and that authenticity, uh, at least in what we do, we, we're seeing it, it become even more critical than it was uh, before. It was almost an accelerator for it. So completely, totally. and it's that. it's welcome, isn't it? Isn't it like a nice? Oh, it's, it's a, a nice you know, change. I, you know, yeah. especially like on Zoom, I'm glad to see the data catching up on virtual meetings where the virtual backgrounds need to go because they're annoying <laughs> yeah. as crap. And people want it. You know what? I don't care if I see your laundry or, you know, the cat walks by and I see the cat, but that's life, right? Like that's, that's authentic. That's more human. So that focus on, I think is very, very, very welcome for many people, myself included. And so when you think about over your career as the XCD at the brand leader, if there was one thing you could change, you know, one thing that, that you wish you had done differently, I'm not saying necessarily a mistake, but just you look back and you go, ah, that was good, but I could have made it better. Kind of curious what that would be. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've thought about this question quite a bit, and not just because I knew you were going to ask it, but because I think when you get to a certain age, when you get to a certain point of your career, it's incumbent upon us to look back so we can look forward in a better way. And I've got a lot of people here who I'm responsible for, for their paychecks, for their livelihood, or just doing great work. And I look back and I just, I wish I listened more. And I really wish I was kinder to people because I had an unbelievable opportunity at almost every job I had to work for somebody who took a chance on me and let me do things that they probably shouldn't have let me do and allow me to fail and allow me to to iterate and allow me to make a fool of myself. And I wish I would have known the impact of that in my life rather than try to hide behind something inauthentic and kind of cover that stuff up with, you know, pride. Uh, I mean, maybe that's just growing up and that's just kind of the bruises you have to take as you get to be an adult. I'm not saying I have the answers now, but looking back, I wish I had that opportunity to uh, either apologize to people or just know that I could have been kinder because that's really at the end of the day, and maybe it's the pandemic speaking and maybe it's just, you know, like I said, getting older, but at the end of the day, I mean, I don't care really how many brands we've helped grow. It's, it is that emotional physical connection with people. And that makes life worth living. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's change direction here a little bit. We ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview. First is simply as a revenue executive, that makes you a prospect for a lot of people out there. So a lot of people probably want to get in front of you and sell you something. And, and I'm curious to know from our guests, when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral in somebody who says, Hey, you really should talk to this person. I think they can provide some value. How does somebody capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar? Man, that is hard. And I think this is an, just an ongoing battle for everybody. It's really difficult to do that. When I was at Dr. Martin's, I would get hit up three, four, five times a day from people, even to the point where someone found out what I was really into. And, and I've, I've said already, you know, cycling and running and so forth. They found somehow the pair of socks that I liked, FedExed me a couple pair and said, take these on your next run. 
and let's set up a, a time to chat. And I was so creeped out by that. I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not going to. I took the socks. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> I ran in the next day. But uh, yeah, it's really hard. You know, we all get the LinkedIn, you know, bait and switch. We all get, we all get that. And I would say it's just, it's relationships. It's earning the right to be heard. I would much rather have somebody write me and say, look, I, I know I don't know you and this might come off as a cold call, but you guys are in this space and we're in this space and we're just trying to see if we could be a fit. And if not, cool, but I just want to get our name out there. Man, I would respond to that in a heartbeat. It's the ones who just assume that, you know, you are, you know, a free game, that you don't have a busy schedule or that or the ones who actually just sent, put something on your calendar because, you know, they think they can and somehow they, you know, get a link to your scheduling calendar. So those are the things that I think are are it all goes back to this kind of, you know, connection, you know, make a connection first, build a relationship and earn that right. And then, man, I'll do anything. So um, <laughs> you know, seriously, I mean, and we tell this to, to brands who, who are struggling with what they need to do or might not be able to afford us. I'll tell them, I'll, I'll give you my time. You know, um, you want an hour, you want 40 minutes of ask me anything you want. Like, I'll totally tell you what you need, whether you go with us or somebody else, because Again, that happened to me. People were gracious enough with their time. I'm happy to do that for anybody, your listener or anyone else. And I and I really truly mean that because, I mean, you might not go with us, but I don't care if you take whatever I told you and make a million dollars off it or more, like good for you. You can't have the thoughts in my brain and how I got to that right. you know, end, but you know, you can own the painting at the end. And, and if you want to take that with you and, and resell it, you know, great. So I think we're missing that. We're missing, especially in the sales world where everything's digital and, and, and I don't blame these guys. I mean, they're, you know, they're, they have a quota and they don't know what to do and, and how do you connect with people, especially during the pandemic? It's hard. I get it. So just be honest, you know, just write and say, man, I'd love to work with you. How do I, how do I get noticed? I think that's the best way to go. I love it. I love it. All right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there's one thing you could tell sales, marketing, or professional services people, one piece of advice you'd give them that you believe would help them hit or exceed their targets, what would it be and why? Uh, easy. Believe in your product. If you don't believe in the product you're selling, whether it's a service or an actual physical product, you're never going to hit your target. And if you do, it's, it's you know, luck. You're doing it through, <laughs> you know, yeah, luck or lies, I was going to say. Uh, you know, we only work with brands which we can get behind. I only worked for companies and brands in my previous career that I used myself. If I didn't believe in the product, then I can't in good conscience work there. So I would say, you know, just just really believe in what you're doing. And if you do that, then it's, you know, conviction and just pure desire. And I think people read that. I think people read that with authenticity. So, and don't give up. I mean, just persevere. I mean, that's what we all have to do. Excellent. Excellent. Kyle, I can't thank you enough for taking time. Time's the one asset nobody can get back. I really appreciate you sharing some of it with us today and appreciate you being on the show. Of course. Yeah, this was my pleasure. Thanks so much. All right, everybody that does it for this episode, you know the drill. B2Brevexec.com. Share it with friends, family, coworkers. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. Until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.